Welcome to the Concordia Publishing House podcast, where we consider everything in the light of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm your host, Elizabeth Pittman. Hello, thanks for joining us today for the CPH podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Pittman. We're going to have some fun today, I think. Um, We are joined by the Grammy-nominated Christian hip-hop artist, Flame. And we're going to have a great conversation. So if you're new to the podcast, please take a quick moment and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Welcome to the show. Yes. Thank you for having me. Glad to be with you today. This is going to be fun. And I have to say, uh, I've been looking forward to the conversation. And if truth be told, my 12-year-old doesn't quite believe me (laughs) that we're going to be talking today. So I'm looking forward to proving him wrong. Yes. Some bragging rights, too. It works. It It is. One of his teachers has will let their students pick some music to play either before or after a class. And he came in last week and he said, Mom, where's that album, Extra Notes? Show me the link so I can play it at school. Nice. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So the seventh graders here at CCLS in St. Louis have have gotten to hear a little bit of you, which is fun. I love it. Which is fun. (laughs) So so now, and I'll, I'll be honest here, I first got introduced to your music about the time that Extra Nose was released. Yep. And I've got to say, I've become a fan because not only do you pack such strong theology, I mean, really pack it in yeah. to your lyrics, but the tunes are downright catchy. Yes. And it's hard to get them out of your head once <laughs> they're there. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it is a juggle trying to maintain the artistic, you know, integrity, uh, while at the same time, the, the weighty content, but still make it fun. It is a, really a juggle trying to handle all those things. I'm sure it is a juggle, but it, it seems to be working. And I had a chance to listen to Set My Sales that is on, in your new EP, I believe. Yes. And I, I cannot get that tune out of my head. <laughs> yes, I love so. it. It's working. It's working. <laughs> it's, it's doing its thing. So yeah. listeners, you'll have to go check that out. We'll make sure we share the links. Awesome. So we're getting close to Reformation Day here as we're recording, and this will air before Reformation Day. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've been born and raised Lutheran. Um, I'm a pastor's kid, so Lutheranism has been basically part of the air that I've been breathing for my whole life. Mm-hmm. Your story is a little bit different. You have your own kind of Reformation story. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about your your journey from where you started to where you're at now absolutely it is a it is a it has has been a turbulent ride (laughs) um but for the most part it's been good i see god's hand in it so i was raised in a family that was uh i would say christian conscious um but my grandmother was probably the strongest pillar in my family in terms of christianity and then my mom would be right under her so they really just made Christianity seem attractive. I always was drawn to Jesus. I would have, you know, always celebrated heaven over hell or right. So those are like typical things I grew up with in my household. Um, but I didn't really take Christianity seriously until uh, around 16 years old. I was in a tragic accident. My grandmother passed uh, shortly after that. So those two things happening back to back got me to asking the big questions for myself. And then I was invited to a church that was uh, full gospel Baptist, which is a blend between Baptists and Pentecostals. Um, so that was uh, really on the front end. It was a great experience. I learned the foundational things about Christianity. But then later there was like this weird shift towards the prosperity gospel that was even strange for me because that wasn't the, you know, the original and heartbeat of the church. 
So then I was exposed to Calvinism when I um, toured with a group called Cross Movement. And those guys had all graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary, Philadelphia Bible College. And they were asking me, was I a Calvinist or an Arminian? So I'm thinking those are the only two options <laughs> in Christianity. And uh, so I'm like, well, I've never heard of either one of those guys. I'm just Christian. I follow Jesus. And uh, so over two months on tour with them, they sort of kind of exposed me to Calvinism. And then that's where it really sort of took off my interest in the Reformation and hearing things about Luther. So I've always been drawn to Luther. I've always appreciated his contribution to Christianity. I just didn't know there was much to him that was different than John Calvin. I thought they were pretty much synonymous, you know, Calvin, Luther, same person. And it wasn't until, um, and that's this is another long story, but I'll just say in short, it wasn't until one of my close friends who was at a Baptist seminary in California, he told me, he said, hey, if you're going back to school, one of my professors who was a Baptist professor told me that you need to go to Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. And I'm like, okay, let me check this place out. And I went, I visited, and that's where the journey started. And uh, it's been it's been a, a wild ride ever since. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure some of our friends over at the seminary um, will love hearing that endorsements from your, your professor <laughs> yeah. for the for the sound theology that comes out of Concordia Seminary. Yeah. So I'm I'm not gonna I won't hide it. I do my homework. I may or may not have asked mm -hmm. one of your former professors if he had any questions for okay, you. Okay, okay. So uh, <laughs> Dr. Leo Sanchez yes. wants to know <laughs> If you have, he actually had a few really good questions that we'll work our way in here, but he wants to know if you had any memorable lessons from your time at the seminary that have impacted you, you know, classes, books, professors, things that you talked about in class. Yes. it's Man, I love Dr. Sanchez. Actually, when I did my first visit on campus, I, I sat in one of his classes. And um, so he was going over the, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity which for me was dear and near because I had already written a song on a Trinity, kind of walking through church history and modalism and Sabellianism and things like that. So when I sat in on his class, I thought I had already plumbed the depths of the topic. And uh, no, I did not. When I sat in with Dr. Sanchez, I'm like, oh my goodness, there's so many more levels to this topic. And uh, so I was very impressed. He was one of the professors that drew me to the school. I wanted to come back, you know, really to sit under him. Uh, also, Dr. Beerman, Dr. Beerman, man, he is he is unapologetically Lutheran. I mean, he's amazing. <laughs> it was so funny because I hadn't exposed that I was Calvinistic in my thinking at the time. So I remember sitting in his class and he held no punches at critiquing no. Calvinistic thought. And uh, I, I, I sort of panicked. I sort of like I almost started crying like I'm having a crisis in my faith, you know, but uh, it was his boldness that really got my attention. And it brought the contrast that I needed to really sort of wrestle with the distinctions. I had a chance um, for several years, Dr. Bierman uh, attends the same church that I do here in St. Okay. Louis. And for many years, he taught the Sunday morning Bible class. Oh. And I'm telling you, you the unapologetically Lutheran, <laughs> it was bold Sunday after Sunday. You just sat back and you're like, I need, I'm going to keep up on my note taking yeah. because you're bringing it hard and fast. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. He's a great he teacher. He really is. And uh, I was like, man, I, so it was so challenging, but I, I continued to sign up for every class that he taught. I couldn't resist. And uh, so I really, I didn't ask a lot of questions. I was really quiet, 
because I was really just collecting the dots. I had never heard any strong pushback against Calvinistic thought. It was mostly Arminian pushback that I was trained in and, and really understood. So I was all ears. I was trying to write down every word that he spoke. I even recorded on my voice memo app on my cell phone and I would listen to the notes even after class. Did you know you can get some of his old systematics classes on iTunes or on the podcast? I, you know what? Yes, yes, I did do yeah. that. I did do that. I found some also on YouTube. And if you want to relive the the fun of his classes, you can go back and, I, <laughs> and listen. I, tr trust me, to this day, I still do. I still refer <laughs> yeah. to video clips on the podcast of his teaching. So, nice, truly. No, so the seminary is a great place. I'm glad that you had a, a good experience there. Mm -hmm. um, so. What parts of the Lutheran faith, as you came to study it, really appealed to you? Yes. Or, or, or intrigued you? Absolutely. So one, I would say the doctrine of justification for me was important um, as, a, as a Calvinist thinker on the front end, because it was sort of the thing that brought me out of the prosperity, word of faith driven teachings. So I'd already have a, had a soft spot in my heart for the doctrine of justification. Um, but when I, when I, I remember when it was, um, it was Dr. Uh, Maxwell and Dr. Okamoto who first exposed me to this Lutheran sort of spin on it. And it really emphasized the extranos, this, this faith alone that was truer to the scriptures as opposed to a faith alone that really sort of leans in on your sanctification as proof that you're in a faith. And it was that subtle distinction for me that really drew me in. And I was like, man, I'm trained to put a lot, a lot more weight on my ability to, you know, grow and expand in my, my morality and to in, in fuller and deeper measures, make sure my motives perfectly align with God's affections. And I really had just this over, you know, I guess interest in my internal ability to perfectly line up with God and and then let that flesh out in my lifestyle. Not that that was altogether wrong, but I think it deviated in a way that is not in the scriptures. And that's what Lutheranism did for me. It helped me to get back to Paul in a more accurate way and to get back to really the New Testament idea of faith alone versus sort of what church history brought through Calvin's lens. That's where it started. So it's it's interesting. I, I'm really enjoying this juxtaposition because we recently had Peter Reske on the podcast to talk about the Reformation's first Lutheran hymns. So we went back to uh, the days of the Reformation where uh, Luther, through his work, not only changed, he changed a yeah. lot. Let's, let's be real. He, he was a revolutionary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But on the on the music front, the shift that he made was profound because music went from being a mere adornment to the worship service to being full-blown proclamation of the gospel, so much so that it could stand alone and it became used um, in the homes and in teaching and as a key part of the learning for the people at the mm -hmm. time. And at the time, he was doing that for the people in Germany, bringing it to them in their, their language and um, that clear proclamation. Do you see any parallels between what Luther was doing back then in Germany with what you are doing now in communicating the Lutheran faith through your music to 
you know, I'd argue new cultural audiences for Lutheranism. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. You know, and in particular, again, as I continue to explore my own Calvinism at the time, I was confronted with Calvin's sort of resistance to the arts and, and music in particular. And, and I found in Luther this openness. In fact, like you mentioned, he wrote hymns and used the gospel content in particular to sort of train and teach. And I, and I was drawn to his love for the arts, uh, for creation, again, which is something that was new for me because I think um, the way he was sort of keen on highlighting the beauty of creation as opposed to in my Baptistic Calvinistic experience, creation was sort of minimized um, because the spiritual things are more important. So I really enjoyed Luther's open heart and see, to show how God takes the arts and couples them with the gospel so as to draw people into not only to beauty, but to his gospel. Um, and so now when I think of the hip hop context and all of the young people who are influenced by rap music and older people alike, it's the perfect medium because in a short span of time, you can compact so much information and, and do it systemically and didactically where people can memorize scripture, church history, theology, um, and in a way it helps them flush out ideas and it brings in new ideas from the scriptures that really gives you a broader understanding on the human experience and how to align that with God's heart, heart, his heart for us as we do life. And I think that's something that I've really enjoyed coming into a space where that's embraced and it's not frowned upon or seen as strange, but as the norm. Yeah. The, the teaching is fantastic. I've seen, and I've heard of different folks and I've encouraged my kids who are confirmation age, like you confirmation kids need to go yes. listen to this because it's, you're, you're going to learn it from, you're gonna learn the same message. It's gonna be a different angle, and it's gonna be kind of fun for you to kind of wrestle with it yes. in that regard. So it's 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 really a neat. It's amazing to me. I'm not a songwriter. I'm not a. I mean, I'm not a. I wouldn't say I'm a creative mm -hmm. writer. Um, so it, it's fascinating to me to see how that goes. What's your songwriting process like as you're thinking through? Because you've made yes. a shift, and I think it's I think it's really cool how on on the Extranos album you go back and you correct earlier thinking. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. It's important. So what, what's your thought process and your process when it comes to writing? Yes. Great question. So it, it, it varies, but mostly it starts with an idea. So like with, with extra notes, I want to make it a series. I actually have a second project already completed that uh, I'll be releasing towards the latter part of this year. But the process was, I wanted to, you know, first deal with the topic of justification. So after getting the topic, now I want to sort of download as much information. So I'm filling my head with books, sermons, podcasts. I'm just taking in information. And then after that, um, that's when I'll get the music, the sound palette. So I'm thinking what emotions will best align or affiliate with this subject matter. And uh, I want to pick the kind of music that doesn't compete with the message. So I don't want it to, you know, overshadow the content. So that's a sort of quirky artistic dance of finding the right song palette that goes with the content. So they complement rather than compete. And then after that, I want to bring the cool factor in. So I want it to be catchy. I want it to be relevant to where current music is. So it's not offensive to the ear. So if you like the way rap music sounds today, um, you can hear it in a way where it sounds 
beautiful and consistent as opposed to sounding dated or irrelevant to where, you know, kind of sonics are in music today. So I'm juggling and balancing all those things. And then afterwards, I'll let someone else hear it. People that I, you know, value their opinion and they could say, I think you accomplished it or this is this isn't good. Start over. So I like to have that, you know, that open heart for honest and raw critique. And once it passes through all those stages, then I think it's ready for mass consumption. Have you in your reading, and I know you've studied church history rather in depth, have you got, dug into history of hymns and hymn writing? I have not. I have not. But can have you, we got a book for you? Okay, point me in the right direction. <laughs> the, it's, I've always noticed there, there's something unique about hymns that they're very rich and deep. And um, even some of the like the, the, the scales that they choose, some of the dirges, some of those I like that emotion, you know, I like that that sort of dark, deep feeling. So point me in the right direction. Yes, hook me so up. So here's something you're gonna need to check out. Okay. This is the the Lutheran service book companion to the hymns. Ooh. And it goes through the history, every single hymn. Wow. If you like church history and if you like music, yes, you're you're gonna eat this up. It's I mean, it's actually yeah, it's 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 really cool. Okay. Great. Um I, I think you'd enjoy that. No, so the history is neat and it's and especially if you're, if you're a, a hymn nerd or like trivia, uh -huh. there's there's so much of it in there that it's just kind of cool to see how it all, all works through. Perfect. So Perfect. there's there's my commercial for that. Thank you. You're the plug. You're the plug. Thank you. <laughs> so since you made your shift, have you had, it, what kind of feedback have you gotten from the industry since, um, you know, basically coming forward with your Lutheran beliefs and bringing Lutheranism unabashedly and unapologetically. Yeah. I'm curious if you've talked to Beerman since the album came out. Um, <laughs> what kind of feedback have you gotten from people? Oh my goodness. It's been, at first it was stunned silence because, you know, I, I was Calvinistic for nearly 20 years. People have been listening to my music this entire journey with me. So I don't even think on the front end, people knew what to say. There was just this sense of stunned silence. And then afterwards it was, um, sort of a struggle to even engage the ideas because most people in my world haven't thought deeply about the Reformation from the Lutheran contribution. So there was there were people who were asking a ton of questions and, and more so contrasting what they believe with Arminianism. So I would always have to clarify that Lutheranism is not Arminianism. It's a, it's a third option, so to speak. And, uh, but overall, it was a great response. People were interested. A lot of people were like, man, I feel like this is the missing piece to what I've been struggling with or questions that I've been asking of the scriptures or just, so that's something I really enjoy is the open-mindedness people have shared. And uh, I think it also exposed a little bit too of sort of the, um, the um, sort of disjointed understanding of what Calvinism is. So some people felt like, man, Flame, you must have never understood Calvinism. And I would say to that, I think the brand is probably too far spread, you know? So if you don't have a Presbyterian understanding of Calvinism, but you have a Baptistic understanding, it's already so fragmented that who, who understands it? It's, it's so many versions of it out there and I think that was exposed to where now you have all these different types of Calvinists trying to defend Calvinism and they were clashing with each other. And, you know, what extra notes did was cause them to deal with 
the Lutheran uh, understanding of the scriptures and, and church history, where Luther was drawing these ideas from not just his own mind, but from the collective conscience of the church. So it just really expanded the conversation in a healthy way. And uh, I really enjoyed that, really enjoyed that. It is, it's, it's beautiful how the Lutheran faith is so rooted in scripture. I mean, you, you, yeah. it's, it's right there. It's grounded in the word. And if it deviates from that, forget it. It's not there. Yes. Um, which, which makes it uh, just, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. How was it when you started looking now you're a member of a Lutheran church? Yes. How was the, the process? What, tell me what that was like oh, of man. visiting churches and because I've, I've visited a lot of churches in my time yeah. and we Lutherans aren't always, we're getting better. We're not always <laughs> the friendliest if somebody comes in. I've, I've walked into many churches where I felt like I wasn't seen at all. Yeah. So what, what was the process? You can tell me about that. So part of the process was, so in full disclosure, I think my theological journey has sort of made me numb to some of my personal preferences. So I'm a lot more, you know, I guess, compliant to whatever's before me. I've sort of been detoxed of got to have this kind of music, this kind of sermon style. So I really had an open heart going into different Lutheran churches. But um, it was interesting, though, because liturgy was something that I just was not used to. And I didn't understand some of the formality. I didn't, to be honest, even flipping through the hymnal was something that I, I'm having to try to, in real time, figure out and what page and what stanza are we on and jumping down from here to there and going back to the top. So even some of those regular things I had to get adjusted to. Um, and in terms of, you know, I think when I visited Dr. Sanchez's church, which was really cool. Um, and so he sort of helped walk me through a little bit of what was going on there. Just So I think overall, um, it was very diff different. It was very, uh, you know, new and fresh. But at the same time, my heart was just so hungry for the message. I think I probably overlooked a lot of things I could have been more critical of, to be honest. Yeah. Bob, I'm glad that you found, I, I'm assuming you found a pastor in a church that you are, you know, enjoying being part of that community yeah, and that, that, that network. Yes. Uh, what are some ways, like if you were to give us some advice, Lutherans who have been, saved the lifelong Lutherans or whatnot, how, how can we better reach out to our neighborhoods? Yeah, you know, I think, um, so one of the things I'm enjoying too, especially um, just in light of the social climate today. I love Luther's emphasis on vocation and uh, left hand and right hand realm. So there are these there are these paradigms and constructs of thinking that I think are um, forgotten by a large portion of the evangelical world that I think really serves in terms of speaking to the, the social climate of things and getting involved in people's lives. One of the things I think I think is so with a high view of vocation, I think maybe one of the things that may go unchecked is not only doing things in terms of, you know, I don't know, like food drives or, 
you know, helping the homeless or feeding the poor or something like that. I think I would like to see in a Lutheran construct more people who feel called to exposing Lutheran theology in particular through the arts, because in the evangelical world, they've sort of made a market of being, you know, overtly, um, I guess, proselytizers. And I think in the Lutheran world, the, the muscle is stronger in terms of vocation, but I think people really need to hear the Lutheran gospel, the Lutheran understanding of the, you know, the message of the cross. And I think if we could do that through the arts, music, drama, um, dance, and whatever we can do to help expose it on an artistic level, in addition to all the other helpful vocational things, I think that would broaden the imagination of what Christianity is in people's minds in a community. I think you're living out your vocation the way you described it, you know, boldly. And I think it's really cool to watch. Do you think other artists or other Lutherans are just timid or do they not know how, are, are they, where, where do you think the disconnect is between boldly living out their yeah. faith and their vocation? Yeah and stepping and not. I think for those who feel, you know, driven to be a Christian presence may have sort of, um, their view of that boldness is a bit unnecessary because you're so into doing practical things to meet needs, right? So you may be more into doing things where you may not expose your faith. So you may be regularly showing up to a homeless shelter to feed people, but they may not know you're there as a Lutheran thinker. And that's not, you know, a bad thing. That's a, that's a good thing, but it would be great to couple that with, a, you know, a more vocal expression of who you are as a person. For example, I think, um, so right now, if I were to speak on something like, um, you know, the social climate, I would say, Hey, you know what? I think, we need to um, raise our voices and expose the reality that God cares about um, the human person and the condition of their, of their life in terms of police reform or something like that. While at the same time, um, he cares for your eternal state. And here's a song about it. So if I do both of those, people now know that God cares for my experience in real time as well as my eternal state. And those two things coupled together, to me, is a is a bold and better witness rather than just showing up at a protest and being a, a, a faithful presence. But people never get to understand what's sort of driving my passion behind being here. It's it's not only care for humanity, but it's also care for our eternal state. So really carrying both of those together, I think, would be a stronger way forward. Sounds like that will require us to have some authentic conversations yeah, and actually not be afraid to be in relationship with yes, others. Yes. And, I, and to me, Lutheranism has the verbiage for it. A lot of other theological backgrounds don't have the verbiage for it. Like, for example, a lot of people right now in light of the social climate are saying, let's just preach the gospel. Let's just pray. And, and in their minds, there's a sort of a fatigue with the state of the world. So there's this, there's this escapism. Let's just Maranatha, come Lord quick, let's go. While I appreciate that sentiment and it's biblical, but Lutheranism has the, the verbiage to talk about both the here and now and the, you know, the sweet by and by. And that's another thing I appreciate about 
um, Dr. Bierman, even in his book, uh, Holy Citizens, he's really breaking down how to exist in time and space, as well as consider um, who we are in the right hand realm in terms of proclaiming justification forensically and forgiveness. But also right now, there are things I can do in the voting booth at a protest and how I talk about these things. So Lutheranism has the verbiage, the history and the proof behind these theological constructs that work. And we've seen it throughout church history. And I think the saying is that our, our God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor yes. does. And so we've got to get skin in the game and, and everything we do should be geared for the good of Absolutely. our neighbor. Absolutely. Which is a unique angle and perspective. I mean, I think it's taken for granted that like, yeah, we all agree with that. I would say, no, not everyone understands that. I think that's true. And I think you see that in the way people behave, whether that's online, in person, mm -hmm. out in the world today, we've forgotten that we really are here to care for yes. our neighbor um, in our daily yes. locations. Yes. And, and again, to, to just to hype up my guy, Dr. Bierman, I remember <laughs> um, as a Calvinistic thinker at the time, he talked about the Westminster Confession of Faith and um, the, the famous statement, which is, um, what is it? It is... Um, I was going to say John Piper's, but his is sort of a piggyback off of it. Um, um, it's the one where it says uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And Dr. Bierman was saying, you know, that sounds great. But when you really press on it, it's sort of floaty language that doesn't really mean a lot. So it's like, what? how do you experience that? So what he helped me think about was he said, you know, let's just bring that idea down to earth and make it real, put flesh on it, which boils down to serving your neighbor. That's the way you glorify God. That's the way you enjoy what he has in mind It's by serving your neighbor. So it took this floaty language that sounds good up here and, and brought a practical aspect to it that just blew my mind. And I was like, that is it. That is it right there. That is it right there. So now you're bringing that into your creative yes. work, yeah. correct? And so we'll be seeing more of that on upcoming Absolutely. albums and, and such, which is going to be fun to hear and, and to yeah. listen to. So I've got to ask, we're the publishing arm of the okay. Lutheran Church. What's your favorite Lutheran book? Ooh, my favorite Lutheran book. Wow. And the Bible doesn't <laughs> count. We'll give, you the, we'll give you a given that that's at the yes, top of the list. The Bible doesn't count. Um, this sounds like a cop-out and it's, it's more like a library, but um, we had the Book of Concord um, because okay. that was that was my, it was it was an alternative to my Wayne Grudem systematic theology, which I thought was the creme de la creme of Christian thought. And uh, when I when I got my Book of Concord, I even had uh, Dr. Kolb sign it. He signed it for me. And uh, so that was really cool. But when I, I remember just sort of walking through it in class with him and it was so thorough and it was so alive because it was, it was written in the midst of debate and real consequences of punishment. And uh, so it was a certain, you know, aliveness about it that really drew me in. Once you get to reading the backdrop of what was going on at the time these documents were being written. And uh, so it's very dramatic and, and it, it is very true to scripture. So it, it's, it's, it's not as sterile as, you know, some other systematics that's just sort of written in a classroom or in someone's office. It was written in real time with some real heated consequences. So that's been a 
great resource that I lean on even now. Well, it's, it's always fascinating when you read those books to think about the history surrounding them because they weren't written in a vacuum. And it was, you're right there. There were very real yes. consequences <laughs> at the time. Seriously. <laughs> and I love that, especially as a, as a creative, as a, as a, you know, as a writer, I can feel that in the verbiage, in the language, you know, all the punctuations, I can feel that. I feel like I'm in that times period. And that really draws me in and expands my mind beyond the intellect and takes me into that imagination. So I love that. I love that. So you're going to set the Book of Concord to, to music, right? I have so much content. <laughs> yes. I, I, I would not run out of things to talk about in the future. No, I, th I think you're, you've got quite a lot there. Yes. And, and did I see correctly, you've expanded into acting too? I have. I have. Tell me about that. Yes. So it's something that I did, I did as a kid in school. And then later on, I sort of picked it back up. But as of late, I was allowed to uh, feature in a film with the uh, one of the co-stars from the famous Christian movie, uh, War Room. Um, her name is Karen Abercrombie for anyone that remembers that movie, War Room. So she did her own movie and it's called uh, Discarded Things. So they reached out to me and said, we think you would be perfect for one of the lead roles. I said, great. And uh, so it was, it, was a, it was a really cool experience, very challenging, had a lot of lines to memorize in a short period of time. But uh, it's a Christian film and it's a story of struggle and redemption done very well. And uh, I really enjoyed taking, again, these sort of, you know, these Christian ideas into other forms of the arts to draw people into God's love and care for them. So I'm looking forward to doing more in the acting world as well. But it's available right now. People go to Pure Flix, they can see the film. I've watched the thing. trailer and the trailer, it looks like something I would have watched with my kids because yes, it, looks, it looks really powerful. Absolutely. And will, will be a good conversation starter. Definitely. So yep. Yep. if you could ask Martin Luther any question, what would it be? Man. Oh my goodness. Um, if I could ask him one question, um, I would, I would want to know, and this is, I'm just shooting from the hip here, how to, um, how to deal with sort of this, like, so as a, as a Calvinist, I think one of the most, uh, as a Calvinistic thinker in the past, one of the most difficult things in the discussion is showing the um man this is tough showing the the pitfalls of deviation from justification by faith alone like i would love to think through that with him in terms of um if you don't have a beefy understanding of justification by faith alone i want people to feel the sort of the pitfalls of that and i would love for him to Flush, that would be cool to flush that out, you know, just in light of the current climate of things where really evangelicalism sort of rules the day. And uh, yeah, that would be something I would think about. Let's talk about the the, the trappings as, that, you know, express themselves when you deviate from justification by faith alone. That would be cool. I think he would have the kind of mind to go down all those different paths, say, well, if you get it wrong here, it can mean this. If you get it wrong there, it can lead you to this and just rabbit trail all the way down those paths. That would be fun. That would be fun. That'd be a fascinating table talk to have. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. 
Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. Well, as, as we start to wrap up, where can our listeners find your music, find out more about you, kind of get connected with you? Absolutely. So I'm all over social media at Flame314. Um, my music is available wherever music is sold and all your digital outlets. Um, Extra Notes is the project where I unpack and contrast Calvin's understanding of justification versus Luther's. Um, I also will be releasing a new project, um, which is titled Daybreak. And it's really just unpacking um, the two realms and how to understand left-hand realm, right-hand realm in light of today's climate, social climate. And then I have another one that's coming at the, you know, the tail end of this year. So social media or go to clearsightmusic.com. That's site, S-I-G-H-T. You can find everything that I got going on there. And we'll link all of those in the notes so people can find them quickly because I think our listeners will want to go listen to it. And listeners, you won't be disappointed because you'll be humming these tunes in your head. I mean, it just makes you happy. I I love music where the content is solid and strong. But at the same time, the tune you just, I was talking with, um, I shot Trevor Sutton a note and he said that he recently talked to you and he said, ask him how he makes the music so it aren't catchy. (laughs) And it really is. It really is. That is the thing. That is the thing. You want that repetition to work for you. And uh, that is a thought through you know, very, very intentional thing when you put it, put it, put a song together. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Yes. Thank you. You're, you're definitely hooking us. So it's all good. I love it. Well, well, I hope that next time you're back in St. Louis, I hope you'll stop by and see us. I would love and to. We'll give you, we'll give you the nickel tour of, of CPH and let you go check out the archives and the yes. library and all of that. And Let's do it. Um, Let's do it. So, Thanks so much for being with us today. We really, really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for your time. It was fun. Great questions. And uh, thank you. This was fun. And I got to get those, those books you recommended on the. Yes. Yes. I'll, I'll definitely check those out. After we stop recording, I'll give you all the details. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So, yes. Listeners, thanks so much for being with us, and we will catch you next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Concordia Publishing House podcast. I pray that this time was valuable to your walk with Christ. We'd love to connect with listeners on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Concordia Pub. Visit cph.org for more resources to grow deeper in the gospel.